We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It's Wednesday. That means it is time for the Notre Dame Midweek Rundown. And we're going to talk about a couple topics today, but there's going to be one topic that's going to dominate today. And it's a topic that's just been on my mind really all summer. And as as sort of some negativity started to creep up more and more and more, and the void of not a lot of news for the first time this offseason, which I actually kind of was appreciated because of how crazy this offseason has been. It just started to some people started to kind of creep in. And it's kind of interesting looking at, at how some people view this team. And I don't know if it's just that the people that aren't high on this team are the loudest and most vocal and most constant in their comments, or if there is some some genuine negativity about this team, uh, where the program is headed. I mean, heck, the show hadn't even started yet, and I banned somebody from the chat. I mean, it, it's getting pretty wild. But I'm going to tell you all right now, I am excited about this football team. And it's not in the same sort of excitement you get every preseason, right? Like, I'm always excited to, to watch this Notre Dame team. And, and and you always have this, like, well, if this, 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 and this can go right, you know, this team could be pretty good. And it's like this long list of what-ifs, right? And, and you know, I was talking with a good friend of mine who I've known for a long time, known him years he's a he's a a guy that tends to be a pretty pessimistic dude and he's even fired up about this team so so perhaps it's just the 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 pessimists are the most vocal but I felt that it was a good time now that football camp is a week away a week away and we start fall football camp I'm so fired up and we'll be there whole practice we're gonna be there I'm excited about it but I look at this team and there's a lot for me to be excited about. And there's no better time than a week before camp to, to go over the 10 reasons why I'm excited about this team. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Also going to dive into a little bit of, I'm going to start over the next couple of midweek rundowns, getting into some topics about uh, college football, you know, just some of my thoughts on the season. We'll, we'll do some college predictions here on the CFP Nation channel, but in this space, I'm going to talk about who I think are the contenders uh, for playoff spots. And the reason why is because I believe Notre Dame is a contender for a playoff spot. And, and I will argue this, and this is partly where my excitement comes from. I believe Again, this is just my opinion based on watching film, studying other teams, all those different type of aspects. That this team, Notre Dame has had teams in the past that had playoff potential. Last year's team, if some things went correctly, had playoff potential. And we're not going to make a run once I got to the playoff. I don't care if everybody was healthy and everything went right. The 2021 team clearly had playoff potential. They were one game away for different reasons. They had playoff potential, soft schedule, New veteran quarterback, some other aspects that kind of led you to, hey, I think this team has a chance to, to have some playoff potential. Was not a team that you looked at and said, they're going to make a run. 2020 team, again, a team that had playoff potential, and they got to the playoff. But not a team you looked at and said, boy, they got a shot to go make a run. Uh, 2018 was probably the last team that I looked at, and I really felt if some things went their way, had a shot to make a run. And I believe that about this team. And there's a lot of reasons why, and, and I'll get into to some of these aspects of it as, as to why I think that that this it's it's partly part of your excitement has to come from what else is out there, right? If we knew that there was a 2019 LSU out there or a 2018 Clemson out there, you may say, I don't know, man, like you, you, you're going to have to catch a lot of breaks. But when you look around college football, you look at the the way this Notre Dame team is constructed, I'm excited about this team. I really am. And that's the first topic that we're going to get into today. So when I look at Notre Dame in 2023, you start thinking about what are the things that go into being a championship football team? You have to have talent in your coaching staff. You have to have talent on your roster. Your schedule has to be such that you have an opportunity to get through the, the the grind to be able to be in a position to be a playoff team. You have to be strong in certain areas, right? You have to be strong in the trenches. You have to be good at running the ball to, you know, to a degree. You have to be good at stopping the run. You have to have talent in certain positions that I just think it's really hard to make a title run if you're not strong in those positions, and we'll get into those. And as I 
as I look down on them, you start thinking, man, boy, this team is is positioned really well. And and then, but then in your head, you start thinking, but you know, I just I don't know, can they really compete with Ohio State? I mean, I literally in my lifetime, I've never seen Notre Dame beat Ohio State. Can they really beat Ohio State? And that's a very reasonable doubt. And then you get into some other areas and you start asking yourself, you know, when 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 you look at this team, you say, you know, can they really beat Georgia? Can they really beat Bama? Can they really do those things? And, and we don't know the answer to that because they haven't done it, right? They haven't beaten Georgia. They've played them close twice. Uh, you, you look at different aspects of of the offense and you, or, you know, the offense and the defense, and you say, you know, yeah, they could this, this, and this, but they haven't done it. They've played Georgia twice. They've been competitive against Georgia, but competitive and fewer points at the end of the game still means you don't advance, you know, survive in advance. When you look at Alabama, they have not even been competitive against Alabama. At least last year, they were competitive against Ohio State for most of the game. So when you dive into this team, you say, you know, there's a lot this team has to prove. But when I look at where the team is, I also say, but if you if you remove all of that and you just look at the roster, you start to get excited about what this team can be and how they stack up against some other teams. And that's really where I'm at. And there was also something that, uh, that kind of, I had already decided to have this topic. Uh, we, I talked about this last week, but then you go and, and kind of just continue to do research. And I'm trying to disprove my theory about this football team in, in different aspects. And there was somebody that brought up a topic on the message board. And it was someone who's been in this chat for a long time, hasn't hasn't posted in a while, but did for a while. He's a member of the message board, and that's 99 Problems with BK1. Y'all remember him. And he, he did a topic where he ranked Notre Dame, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia position by position. You know, there's some areas that he had Notre Dame maybe a little higher than I would have, or I had Notre Dame higher than he did, or he had Bama higher than I did, or I had Bama higher than he did. And you get into it. But as you go through it, you're like, they're not Notre Dame's not fourth and third on all those topics and all those breakdowns. And you start kind of getting into that. And you're like, you know, look, it, it. no matter how you stack it up, you have to say this team, now you, you don't have to, I do. I have to say like this team is really in position to be, uh, you know, put itself in position to, I should say, to make that jump. Will they do it? I don't know. But I, I have a confidence that they will. And I've got 10 reasons why nine of which are going to involve Notre Dame specifically. And then the 10th is going to be more big picture. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that one last. And so I'm going to go in different orders here. I'm not going to go team offense, defense. I'm going to kind of mix it around, keep, keep all on your toes, but there's 10 reasons why I'm excited about this Notre Dame 2023 team. And not that just, they're going to be good, but this team is going to have a chance to do something that Notre Dame teams have not done in a very long time. Topic number one. It's experience, and experience means a lot of different things, and the excitement about what the experience means is a lot of different things. For number one, your head football coach has more experience now. Marcus Freeman has said said it in an interview with me. He said it in other interviews that when you look at the, his, his role, he now is in a much better place than he was a year ago where he said, I'm just trying to figure things out like where to stand in practice, what side of the ball to watch, and Marcus Freeman was probably one of the most honest coaches I've ever seen, head coaches. In you know, there were times early last season where he would just be like, I don't know, or I'm not sure, or you know, I, I don't I don't know what we're gonna do next. Uh, 
And then to watch sort of the team just waffle through the first six games. I mean, three and three was bad enough. You lose to Stanford. It was a brutal loss. You lose to Marshall. That was a brutal loss. And I'm and, and someone who's praised Marshall. I think Marshall is a good football team. I don't care how good Marshall is. Unless Chad Pennington and Randy Moss are on the other side of the field, you don't lose to Marshall at home. I don't care how good Marshall is. And they were a good football team. I'm sure. They were NFL caliber players on that team. Don't care that it's Marshall, you're Notre Dame, shouldn't lose that game. Then you look at obviously the loss to Ohio State. It was disappointing. You at least competed. You say, hey, they 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 nice, nice win over Cal, nice win over North Carolina and, and BYU. But even within those games, there was just some sloppiness. I mean, Cal was not a very good football team, and Notre Dame let them hang around for four quarters. I think they trailed at halftime. You know, BYU was a quality team, and Notre Dame jumped all over them, but then couldn't put them away. You know, North Carolina, they're blown out, and then they just kind of sloppy fourth quarter, make that game closer than it should have been. It just wasn't a good football team. And they hit rock bottom against Stanford. And then you look at the football team and the thing say, well, we're going to find out who Marcus Freeman is after this game. And we started to see who Marcus Freeman is. We saw a football team that bounced back from that loss and jumped on the next week opponent 30 to seven and half time. But again, didn't put them away, let UNLV kind of hang around in the second half, but it was still a convincing dominant victory. You go on the road against a ranked Syracuse team and it's a convincing win. You go, you, you come back home and you're playing a very good Clemson team, top five Clemson team. I believe Clemson was ranked fourth at the time and you absolutely dominate that football team. Then you go play Navy dominant first half, Really sloppy second half. Couldn't put them away. Typical what we'd seen really kind of throughout the year. Come back the next week, dominate Boston College, who was coming off of a road win over a top 25 NC State team. Go on the road. You do drop the game to USC for all the reasons we've discussed before. Then you go out in the bowl game against South Carolina and you get the win. In a game that, if not for some turnovers, you blow South Carolina out. South Carolina never has the early lead without turnovers. They never get back in the game late without turnovers. Now, turnovers are part of the game, but Notre Dame was still able to go out there and get the job done. And you say, this was still a team with flaws. Second half of the t- season, it was still a team with flaws. The The same players that that struggled to beat Stanford and Marshall and Cal were still the same players. They didn't bring anybody new. But you started to see the team buy in to what Coach Freeman was doing. You started to see Marcus Freeman sort of letting his personality out a little bit more. He's much more animated on the sideline, much more argumentative with officials. And you started to see a team play with a little bit more piss and vinegar to, to take an old expression. And, and they were obviously a better football team and they were a better football team and in, in not just wins and losses, but in every statistical category, which I'll get into, especially on the defense. But when you look at the six and one, this was different than the 2021 second half of the season. And if we, if you all remember in 2021, Notre Dame had a good record through the first half of the season. You know, they were, they were five and one through the first six games, won their last six games, finished 11, one in the regular season. But the first five games were sort of the, t- or the first six games was the tough stretch. You had the road game against Florida state. You had Wisconsin on there. You had Cincinnati on there. You had to play it against Virginia Tech, your last six games, you had a mediocre USC team whose coach got fired. You played a not very good North Carolina team. You played Navy, who wasn't very good. Virginia wasn't very good. And Well, they were okay, but they were missing their quarterback and, and weren't great. Georgia Tech wasn't any good. Stanford wasn't any good. So, you know, you, you, you got healthy 
against a schedule that was soft, if we're going to be honest with it, with you. You look at 2020 in, in Notre Dame played outside of Clemson and you know Pitt, North Carolina, three teams. There, there wasn't a, really any good teams on that schedule. The difference with Notre Dame's late season surge in 2022 is that it came against the toughest part of the schedule. Ohio State was the was the tough team early in the year, right? Obviously, that was the best team Ohio that Notre Dame played all year. But after that, you had Marshall, you had Cal, who was very undermanned. North Carolina was a good team. BYU was a quality team, but they're not as good as what they face the second half of the year. Stanford obviously was was arguably the worst team Notre Dame played all year. Then the second half of the year, you had to play Syracuse on the road, who was a ranked opponent. You had to play Clemson. You had to play USC on the road. And then, of course, you got a a red-hot South Carolina team in the bowl game. So it's not like you can say, well, they got healthy against the, you know, soft part of the schedule. That would have been if it was flipped. So let's say they would have started off like six and one, lost to Ohio State, and then faded down the stretch. You know, go three and three in the last six games. You know, you beat Boston College, you beat Navy, you beat UNLV, but you lose to Syracuse, you lose to Clemson, you lose to USC. Then you'd say, well, they beat up the teams that they're supposed to beat up. It's not the case with Notre Dame. And so you you learn and you say that, that the head coach gained a lot of experience. The head coach was able to say, hey, look, this is what I did not do enough to get my team prepared to be successful early. We I didn't do this, this, and this. We're going to fix it midstream and go do it. And now there's lessons learned. Marcus Freeman knows, okay, here's where I felt comfortable. Here's where I didn't. Here's where I need to get better. You know, here's where I, I made decisions to give coaches a little bit of leeway here. I've got to be more involved in making sure that they're, we're, we're all do, going in the same direction. Got to make sure the players are buying into things. I got to make sure there's more consistency in our approach and our motto and our themes and all those type of th- aspects. And he's got a lot more experience, but it's not just Marcus Freeman. You've got more experience on offense. I mean, think about the bowl game. Notre Dame started eight true sophomores on offense in the bowl game last year. Eight true sophomores. Now, one of them's gone. Obviously, Tyler Buckner left. But now, all those sophomores are a year older. You've got, well, actually, Lorenzo Styles also left. But Audrick Estime is a junior now. You're likely one of your your, your – Best starting receivers outside of Tobias Merriweather are going to be third and fourth year players. Matt Salerno is a fifth, sixth year guy. Jaden Thomas is a junior with a whole year under his belt. Deion Colsey is now a junior. Chris Tyree is a senior. They're going to be a lot older there. Mitchell Evans is now a junior. He started in the bowl game. I said estimate is going to be a junior. You went from having a redshirt sophomore quarterback that didn't have played a whole lot of football to now you have a sixth year senior who's one of the you know most prolific passers in college football history. Blake Alt, Blake Fisher, Blake Alt, Blake Fisher's now a junior. Joe Waltz now a, a junior. Zeke Carell was an older player last year as a senior, but hadn't played a ton of football coming into that season. He's a lot more experienced. So now instead of being really young at your tackles, really young in the perimeter, really young in the backfield, really young and inexperienced quarterback, you have a much more experienced football team that's been through it. Defensively, it's the same way. This is probably the deepest Notre Dame defensive football team I've seen in a a very long time. And and I'll get into that a little bit more specifically. But with that comes, and I don't mean deep just in numbers. I'm talking about depth from a guys that have played. So I'll talk later about depth of talent. I'm talking now depth from an experience standpoint. You look up the middle, three of your top four returners up the middle have played a lot of football. 
you have a defensive ends. Your starting ends have played a lot of football. Your big ends have played a lot of football. You returned three starters at linebacker. You returned two starters at corner. You're arguably the guy that can end up being your number four corner this year and backup nickel is a guy that in 2020 was a starter on a Notre Dame playoff team. And he's now your third or fourth corner at best. You've got a lot of experience coming back at safety this season. Sixth year senior DJ Brown, Ramon Henderson's a senior now, Xavier Watts a senior now. So there's a ton of experience. And even though there's a new offensive coordinator, it's not a new coach. It's someone that's been there. So you have a lot of experience coming back in the in the coaching staff as well. And unlike last year at a couple spots, the new coaches that you're adding are veteran guys, right? Marty Biaggi's a better, veteran guy on, on the on special teams. Then on offense, Gino Gadulli's a veteran. Joe Rudolph's definitely a veteran. So you're a very experienced football team in a lot of ways. And that's a big reason why I'm excited about this Notre Dame football team. I I think you can win with younger players, but your younger players have to be the exception. You look at Clemson in 2018, freshman quarterback, sophomore running back, uh, true freshman receiver that was really good, true sophomore receiver was really good. But you also had a lot of experience in other places. The line was very experienced. Hunter Renfro was very experienced. You had a ton of experience on defense. And so that team could mix in some, hey, we're young here and there, but we're still a really experienced football team overall, and that's how Notre Dame should be this year. Reason number two that I'm excited about this football team. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this one because it's we've already spent a lot of time on it. It's the rival Sam Hartman. I don't, I don't know how good Sam Hartman is going to be this year. You know, there's a lot of expectations. Always oh, going to throw for we're, we're discussing yesterday in our mailbag. You know, can he throw for 4,000 yards or not? We'll see. I, I don't know that he has to. Uh, is he going to be a guy that's a Heisman contender? I, I don't know. We'll find out. There's a lot of questions that you have with Sam Hartman, but the one thing that you know is this is a very experienced quarterback that is a significant upgrade over what Notre Dame has had at the position in recent seasons. We saw that the last time Notre Dame got a transfer quarterback two years ago in Jack Cohn, that played a huge role in Notre Dame's success that season. When you have a game, and and, and the perfect example is this, you compare the loss to, to Marshall in 2022 with the win over Toledo in 2021. And to me, that shows you the biggest difference between the 2022 team and the 2021 team is because there was a difference in experience at quarterback. So when you look at the the game last year against Marshall, obviously Notre Dame struggled that game, had some issues, you know, really couldn't couldn't put Marshall away. You were losing nine to seven and halftime, 12 to seven going into the fourth quarter. But in the fourth quarter, you come out and you have a you 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 lead a you have a touchdown drive, right? And then you kind of go back and forth. You miss some opportunities. Marshall goes down and scores with what was it? I think five minutes left to go up nineteen to fifteen. Defense fails to make some stops. Had a chance to really stop Marshall deep in their own territory. Couldn't get it done. They go on a ninety-four yard drive. Five minute take five minutes off the clock. So what does Notre Dame do in response? The throw pick, pick six on the very next possession, third play of the series, and it's game over. They end up getting a touchdown late to make it close, and you you lose the game 26-21. Reminds me a lot of the Toledo game the year before. Notre Dame's losing 16-14 to at halftime. They go scoreless in the fourth quarter. Notre Dame's losing. They score early in the fourth quarter to take a 17-16 to lead. The defense makes a stop. 
the offense goes up. They score on one play, Chris Tyree on a wheel route, the very next play, the, uh, the first play of the next series. You go up 24 to 16, but you can't put them away. Toledo comes right down the field. They go on a six-play, 89-yard drive. Your offense, I think did, I think they fumbled, right? Didn't Kyron Williams fumble the ball, if I remember correctly? I'm trying to remember what happened that gave them the ball back. Yes, it was, it was a Kyron Williams fumble against Toledo. Toledo gets the ball back. They go down and score. They make it 29-24 with a minute 35 left. What does Notre Dame do? They immediately respond. You have a veteran quarterback whose finger gets dislocated right in the middle of the drive, goes over, quickly has him fix it, comes in and throws a touchdown drive. You had that veteran presence that could calm everybody down and say, we're going to be all right. Let's just go do our thing. Let's go make our plays. He let him down the field and they scored a touchdown. Whereas in this season, you're asking a, a red shirt freshman, basically, who had not played a lot of football to go out there and say, hey, we need you to go win us a game. And Tyler Buckner wasn't ready for it. He didn't have the experience for it. Jack Cohn was able to. You look at a game like that and you think, hey, having that veteran presence is why you win that football game. We saw that several times in 2021. What happens if Notre Dame has a redshirt freshman quarterback against Florida State when you blow a lead and allow them to come back and get in that game, tie it, send it to overtime? What happens? You have a veteran quarterback. You're fine. He he you, he gets you out of that game. You get into situations where you look at other contests. North Carolina defense is really struggling. Can't can't make stops. Kind of like the USC game this past season. Quarterback says settles everybody down. We're going to be fine. Go out there. You make all the answers that you need to make. Having that type of veteran presence can be a big difference between when you're losing games like they were losing last year or in, in 2022 and then winning those games in 2021. So when you look at it from that standpoint alone, that experience is going to give you an opportunity to go out and win some of those games that in, in other years with less experience you, you would learn. And so number two partly also ties into number one, but it's also about you have a guy that's played on the big stages. He's played against Clemson. He's played in an ACC title game. He started, I think, what, like three bowl games at this point in time in his career. And, and you say, this is a guy that gives you something that you didn't have last year and gives you more ability than what you, even what you had Jack Cohn. And you all know I was a big Jack Cohn fan. I love that pickup. I thought that was big for Notre Dame. But Sam Hartman, to me, brings even more experience. Jack Cohn had about 3,000 career passing yards coming into that game. Sam Hartman has over 12,000. I think Jack Cohn had 20-some touchdowns in his career coming into that season. Sam Hartman has 110 passing touchdowns. So even as good as Jack Cohn was, this isn't even a bigger jump in what you're bringing into the table. And to be honest, I, I don't know if this is arguable. If you look at the talent around him, Sam Hartman also walks into a much better situation with the talent around him than what Jack Cohn walked in in 2021. And I think that's just another reason why I'm very excited about this football team is the presence of Sam Hartman. Reason number three that I'm excited about this Notre Dame football team, and this is probably the one that's going to bring the most disagreement from some, and that's fair, but it's how the defense played in the second half of the 2022 season. I understand the concerns and frustrations with Al Golden. I've expressed a lot of them. But I think those frustrations and concerns have 
taken a life of their own and they've gone way too far. And we are failing. We are remembering Stanford and second half of Ohio state and Marshall and those games. And we're ignoring what we saw the second half of the year, including the USC game. And, and when I've been doing film study, the second half of the season or of, of the, of the season, and I look at the second half and I see the team playing better football against a very good schedule. Cause the one thing you got to say about the defense in the second half is they did play some pretty good offenses. They didn't always play great, but they did play some pretty good offenses. So when you look at the, the stats that I'm about to bring up to you, it, it's, it, it gives you the right context to say, that's pretty good. And what I try to avoid is making comparisons about stretches where if you can have this, you know, if you can, you know, take these two games and stretch it out over 12, they're pretty good. That's not really how it is. Cause otherwise you could say, you know, if you could take two games from last year and, 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 take that over the course of an entire season, then Spencer Rattler is the best quarterback in college football, right? I mean, did, did you watch him against Tennessee and in, in, in Clemson when he threw for 798 yards and eight touchdowns and completed over 70% of his passes in two games? No, that's not how it works. You have to look at it to me in longer stretches, right? It's over the course of five, six, seven games. And so as I'm breaking down the film of the defense this summer, and I'm like, man, like this is, this is better you know, really than I thought when you're kind of in the emotion of the season, then you start looking at the numbers and you start looking at Riley Mills production in the second half of the year when he was moved inside, you start looking at JD Bertrand's production, which I talked about on the, on a couple shows here recently, you start looking at what Cam Hart was doing, not production wise, but just the fact that he wasn't producing anything because people just stopped throwing at him. Clemson tried early in the first half and it didn't work out real well, real well for him. You look at what Benjamin Morrison, Benjamin Morrison didn't really have his breakout till I'd say the second half of the Syracuse game. He was good up till then, but the second half of the Syracuse game, they had beat him for a touchdown early. He got called for a penalty and then he really buckled in, finished that game real strong. And then of course, finished the season on an extremely high note. But if you look at Notre Dame's numbers in the last half of the season, the last six games against non-option teams, because I think Option teams skew numbers. They skew numbers in the wrong direction from a run game standpoint, and then they skew numbers in the wrong direction positively when you're looking at pass game numbers. For example, last year when you look at Notre Dame, if I were to if I were to type in or factor in what Notre Dame did from a, a pass defense standpoint against Navy, well, their numbers are going to look a whole lot better. You held your opponent under 50%. You only gave up 108 yards of passing. Well, that doesn't really tell the story of how you played because of the nature of who they play. So I did take out Navy to show you the context of what I'm referring to here. But when you took it, look at Notre Dame's last six games, and this is what they were. So I win total defense, which is the first category you're going to see on this graph, rushing yards per game, uh, passing yards per game, tackles for loss per game, sacks per game. And then also within defense, rushing and passing, I also put yards per play. Cause as you all know, I'm a big yards per play guy. And I think it puts things in a proper context. And that right there, you'll see in the rushing and passing, you know, that it, it gives very important context that, to what we've seen. And so when you think about some of the frustration that, that, that we as fans had about the season last year, it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to say they've got to get better, but it's not okay. In my opinion, if you're just going to ignore in an entire half of the season and look at their numbers. So let's look at what Notre Dame did in the last six games of the season against non-option teams. So it really begins with UNLV 
on. So coming out of the Stanford game, this is what they did. And I think this leads to the experience thing about what Marcus Freeman is going to do. The Notre Dame defense gave up 304.5 yards per game of total of, of that's what they allowed per game from, from the opposing offenses. These ranks that I have next to it are what they would rank over the course of the season with those numbers. And it's not, I'm not one of those people who's like, well, this shows that they will do that this year. It's just for context to allow you to see the context. Okay. And so even, even down in the chat now, people are talking about the, just ignoring the, hey, appreciate the numbers, but I'm not going to believe anything you're about to tell me because I have this, this apprehension about this thing that, you know, your numbers prove are not accurate. I get that, but this is what the numbers are. Despite having Caleb Williams on the schedule, Clemson on the schedule, South Carolina on the schedule, who's scoring like, what, 50 points a game coming to that bowl game? So Notre Dame defense gives up 304.5 yards per game, which would rank them 12th in the country last year. 4.8 yards per play would rank them 14th. If you look at Notre Dame's last five seasons, the only year that was close to that level of production was 2019 when they gave up 320.2. The 2018 defense, which fueled a 12-0 season, that was fueled off of the defense. They gave up 347.4. The yards per play in 19 and 18 were slightly better, 0.1 better, 4.7 compared to 4.8. So from a total defense standpoint, Notre Dame played outstanding football in the last six games of the season. The story is also true for the rush defense. Notre Dame gave up 103.7 yards per game in the last six games against non-option teams, and that included over 200 yards against USC, allowed 3.6 yards per carry. Now, the yards per game number would rank 14th in the country. The yards per attempt number would rank 28th. Now, that's an area where you want to see it get even better. You want to be in that top 15 in yards per play. If you want to really get into some caveats to try to skew the numbers, what I could have done is I could have taken out the UNLV game where they gave up 4.7 yards, excuse me, they gave up uh, 5.2 yards per play because UNLV had a 70-yard run in that game. And you say, that skews the numbers. You take that out, and all of a sudden the rushing numbers drop down a ton, but I don't think that's fair to do. You can't just take out this play, that play, the other play, because then that you can you can tell whatever story you want, and I don't think that's as fair. I think Navy is, is a reasonable one to take out for different options, for different reasons, I should say. Um, but I think the other things you have to put in. So even with that performance against UNLV, you're talking about a team that gave up 103.7 yards per game. In those last six games, four of Notre Dame's six opponents were held to 90 rushing yards or less, and three of those opponents, and that, inclu- that includes Clemson, who was at 90, three of those opponents, Syracuse, Boston College, and South Carolina, were held to 65 rushing yards or less. And, and and that's obviously where you want to be. If Notre Dame did this over the course of an entire season, they'd be pretty good. And the reason that I think this is the number to even be the most excited about than any of the other numbers is because this is the one that, to me, you can most count on potentially replicating in 2023. Because most of the players that were responsible for that level of production are back. Isaiah Foskey was a good player against the run, but I don't think he was the reason your run defense was this good. Up the middle, you were very good. Riley Mills played a lot more in inside the second half of the season. I think that factored. We saw Jordan, a lot more of Jordan Patelho 
second half of the season, the linebackers are, are all back from last season. You started to see more and more Xavier Watts and Ramon Henderson uh, in the second half of the season, along with DJ Brown, a little less Houston Griffith, a lot less Brandon Joseph. And they went out and they're all back. Your corners are all back. A big chunk of what you're, of what was responsible for this production is there. And I would argue that the one game that they didn't do well against the run in the second half of the year against USC is because they went away from what worked. They didn't run the same defense. They didn't utilize the same talent. They went away from what worked, and USC gashed them. I would argue if you stay with what you do, you'd have been better. Now, the counter argument is, yeah, but you didn't have Cam Hart and Tariq Bracey. It would have been harder to do that to defend the pass game then. And and obviously Notre Dame had to kind of pick their poison and they picked trying to stop the pass. And we saw what USC was able to do. The pass game numbers were good. Gave up 200.8 yards per game against the pass last year, which would have ranked them 27th. But the yards per attempt would have ranked 7th and was, was lower than anything we've seen since 19 and 18 when Notre Dame had a top five yards per attempt defense in 19 and 18. So last year's pass defense was very, very close to what we saw from the really, really good Notre Dame defenses that helped fuel a, a, a playoff run in 2018. And if you look at the yards per attempt in the second half of the season, UNLV was at 4.6, Syracuse was at 6.3, Clemson was at 4.8, BC was at 5.3, South Carolina was at 5.9, and then, of course, you give up 10.5 against USC. That's the one that's got to get better. Tackles for loss. This was the one that actually surprised me a little bit. I knew that Notre Dame was more disruptive in the second half of the season, but I didn't know that they were this disruptive in the second half of the season. When you look at their tackles for loss and sack numbers in the last six games, again, against non-option teams, Notre Dame would have ranked fifth in tackles for loss and third in sacks. That's a really, really impressive number. And, and I think it's something that that kind of got me a little bit fired up about what this defense could be. Because again, with the with the exception of Foskey, who was very good in the second half of the year, or at least very productive second half of the year, everybody that's responsible for that is back. And we've also seen this team play a game without Isaiah Foskey when it comes to this. And that was the bowl game against South Carolina. They had nine tackles for loss in the bowl game against South Carolina, and they had uh three sacks in the bowl game against South Carolina. So their disruption numbers were every bit as good against South Carolina as they were against anybody else. And if you look at quarterback hurries and and kind of how the NCAA uh, looks at those, they had eight hurries in that game, which was the most they had all season. The most they had had previously was five against uh, Cal, Syracuse, and Boston College. So even without Foskey, and this is partly where the, the, the excitement comes from, and you say, well, how are they going to do without Foskey? Well, we have seen an example of that. We have seen an example of what they lost. And everybody talks about all the players South Carolina didn't have in that game. Outside of their tight end, almost all the other impact players that sat out that game were on South Carolina's defense, not their offense. And so when you look at that, you say, boy, that, that's something that you feel you can translate to a degree because all the, the players that are responsible for that are back. And you didn't even have Cam Hart at the time. So I think those are all things that you look at and say, this isn't something that Notre Dame did in, in, a, in a month or in a three-game stretch. This is what they did off the entire second half of the season. Coming out of the Stanford game, everything that follows Stanford game outside of Navy, the bowl game, all of it's included. You played three ranked opponents during that stretch. I'm scared, sorry. You played four 
ranked opponents in that six game stretch. So that's the other thing too. Four of the six teams you played during this stretch where Notre Dame put up these kind of outstanding top 15 to top 10 caliber numbers on defense came during a stretch where four of your six opponents were ranked at the time you played and three of your six opponents finished the year ranked in the top 25, number 12, number 13, and number 23. The number 23 team that you beat at the end of the season was coming off wins over Tennessee and Clemson, who finished the year ranked 6th and 13th. And and uh, so those are just different things to me that when I look at this defense, you say what they did to finish the 2022 season, to me, is the same kind of thing we saw in past seasons that said, hey, there's something there's something coming here, right? When, when certain aspects of your football team finish the season on a very strong note, a lot of times when a lot of that talent comes back, you start kind of saying, hey, this is something I think is translatable into next season. And I think those are things that that can can get you can get you fired up about what this football team is going to be. And we've seen this in the past. This isn't this isn't me looking for a reach. This is something we've seen in the past. We when you look at Notre Dame in 2014 for all their woes in 2014, Notre Dame had some moments late in the season in 2014 where they started to look like they could run the football really well. And, and they come out, obviously, in 2015, and that's exactly who they are. They, they're running the football very well. You look at the 2016 season, as bad as that year was, down the stretch, Notre Dame ran for 261, 200, and 154 yards against USC. They, they would have ran for more against USC, but they fell behind late and had to throw the football a lot. And you say, boy, this team has the makings of, if they can just do a couple things, this run game could be really good next year. And that's exactly what it was. Notre Dame that season or in 2016 rushes for 163 yards a game. The next season with the same personnel that finished strong, they come out and run for 269.3 yards per game. Despite losing a number, a second round draft pick at quarterback. So you see these trends. So what you look for is did they finish the year with a level of consistency in areas and are the, the majority of the players that, that were responsible for that and the majority of the coaches that were responsible for that, are they back? I think when you look at Notre Dame, that's true. And that's a big reason why I'm excited about this Notre Dame football team is the the the, the data that exists and the, the trends that exist to make you think this is certainly something that they can carry over into the 2023 season. Let's talk about the number four reason that I'm excited about this football team. And I think this is one that we're, a lot of us are going to agree on. Notre Dame is an offensive line-driven football team, according to their head coach, Marcus Freeman. And they're going to have a very good offensive line coming back this season. You talk about arguably the best tackle tandem in college football. You have a veteran at center and you have some very young, talented, up and coming players, a guard that are now going to be surrounded by much more veteran players. Last year, Blake Fisher and Joe Walt just kind of had to worry about themselves. Get yourself going. You're just a sophomore. You worry about you. Now they're juniors. Now they both have double digit starts under their belt and they have an opportunity to now be leaders. And everything I've heard about these guys they're putting in the work this offseason, and there's a lot of expectations. Zeke Carell, obviously, coming back. Billy Shrouth has no experience, but he's a guy that is a loads of talent and quickly emerged in the spring as the best guard on the team during the spring. So there's a lot of excitement there. There's a great ballot right guard. Whenever there's a battle between good players, you start to feel confident that, well, someone's going to win that job, and they're going to be in a good position. So I think the fact that this is an O-line driven football team has me excited. It's it's a it, and it and it's in different ways, right? Like there's there's you can be have a good football team and you know a good veteran group of guys that that maybe not might not be dominant, but they're just going to be consistent. But you know, are they going to be good enough to 
to perform one of those big games. And with Notre Dame, we've got to find out if they can perform consistently effective in the big games, which last year early in the season didn't play well against Ohio State. I thought the offensive line played pretty well in the other two big games. The other big games they had last season obviously played great against Syracuse, which was a must-win game for Notre Dame. You're four and three. You're struggling. You're playing a ranked opponent on the team, and you go out and your offense dominates in the trenches, just absolutely dominated Syracuse in the trenches. You go out the next week, you do the same thing Clemson. I actually think the offensive line played better than most people give them credit for against USC. I think that was USC basically saying, we're going to put more in the box than you can block, and we're going to make Drew Pine beat us, and we're going to make your receivers beat us, and they couldn't. They weren't good enough to do that. But I thought the offensive line did some good things in that game, and then, of course, they played phenomenal against South Carolina. So we saw a unit that was absolutely trending in the right direction late in the season, played at a very high level. You bring an All-American back at left tackle. You bring a very experienced kid with lots of talent at right tackle. You have a veteran center, and you're you're gonna you've got a battle between some big physical kids inside. And I think one thing that that I expect to see this year is I do think there's a chance, depending on who wins certain jobs, that you could be even more physical inside than you were last season. You know, Jared Patterson was a you know a, an athletic kid that was about angles and doing his job, and and but he wasn't that mauler type. Billy Shrouth brings that potential. You know, right guard Josh Lug did a really nice job. Do your job you know, just had a really good final season in Notre Dame, depending on who wins that job, you might have a guy that has a little bit more pop when he's playing in the run game. We'll have to see, but there's a lot of good depth. I'll have an Intel piece. I'm halfway done writing it. I had to stop to do the show, but I, I I'm halfway through an Intel piece on the offense. That's going to be on the board. I'm talking about core running backs and receivers. I'm going to have another one coming out tomorrow. That's going to dive more into the offensive line and tight ends. I'm just waiting here back from a, Another source uh, that that I that I like to talk to about offensive line play before I dive into that, you know. But what I've heard so far about Tosh Baker is very positive about the season that he, that the off season that he's had. So when you look at the Notre Dame offensive line, they want to be an offensive line driven team. They have the talent to be that. They have the desire to be that. I think we saw that during during the spring and the way that they finished in, in the spring game in the, in the scrimmage before the spring game. So the Jersey scrimmage, I heard a lot of good things about what the, the offensive line looked like in that game and what the expectations are. And, and then also how quickly they're adapting to Joe Rudolph. That was a big question, right? Like you lose Harry, he you lose a legend, one of the best in the business who, who inherited a train wreck. And by the end of the season, turned it into one of the best lines in college football. You lose that, okay, what's going to replace them? And will the players have the same buy-in with him that they have with Coach Eastand? From everything I've heard so far, they do have the same buy-in because Coach Rudolph's uh, fundamentals, his MITs, right, his most important things are are the same as what Coach Eastand preached. He just does it in a different way. And so there's been a lot of buy-in in that regard. And so I feel very confident that the Notre Dame offensive line is going to be a championship caliber unit. And I don't believe that Notre Dame Notre Dame can't be Clemson meaning they can't have a team that's just so good at the skill positions and so good on defense that you can just have a solid line and, and win a championship. I don't think Notre Dame can win that way. They need a dominant line, and I think this team has a chance to have a dominant line, which is another reason why I'm excited about this Notre Dame football team. My number five reason why I'm excited about this football team, it's perimeter talent on defense. 
Brian Smith has had stuff like this uh, in the past. He's broken this down. Brian Smith, obviously, as you all know, he's been on our show a bunch of times. He has a new show on CFB Nation uh, that, that talks about Southeastern recruiting. And he has always pointed out that to win championships, you have to have talent on the perimeter of your defense. And that's mainly cornerback. Cornerback, and I th- and I would even expand it now, even beyond what Brian has done because of the nature of how the game has evolved since Brian a couple years ago uh, did that breakdown at Irish, Irish Breakdown is I think even more now you have to have also a nickel. And so you have to have s- some really big time talent on the perimeter to be a championship football team. And if you look at most of the champions in, in recent seasons, that's exactly what they have. They've had obviously Georgia last season had very good talent, on the perimeter defense, had Keely Ringo at corner. I believe their other corner was Kwame, uh, Kamari Lasseter, very talented football player. Uh, 2020, Alabama had very good talent at corner. Patrick Sertan, who's now a star cornerback for the Broncos. LSU in 2019 didn't necessarily have a, 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 an elite defense that season, but they were pretty good at corner. When you look at Derek Stingley Jr., Christian Fulton, they had big-time corners. 2018, Clemson has... Uh, Trayvon Mullen and AJ Terrell, they were outstanding. So when you when you go down through the years, you you realize that that is something that that has been a an ingredient to championship football teams. And I don't know that we can sit here and say, well, but Notre Dame can be so good at other positions that they can completely break the trend of what's needed to be a championship football team. I don't believe that to be true. I mean, you look at, again, look at Alabama's 2017 team and the, and the players they had in 2017 with, you know, with Minka Fitzpatrick, who was kind of a do-it-all type of guy. So I really believe that that is something that is necessary to have a championship defense is, is talent at, on the perimeter, slot guys, outside guys, guys that can, can play the pass. Notre Dame's corner tandem of Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart has a chance to be one of the nation's best if not the best cornerbacks. They still have something to prove to be that, but statistically, they are among the best. I did a, I've done breakdowns on this to show how they how they stack up against other teams, other, the other considered the other best cornerback tandems. Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart last year uh, held opponents to sub-50% completion rate last year. That is not something that Troy Pride and Julian Love did in 2018, and that was a championship-caliber cornerback tandem in 2018. But when you look at the the difference between last year and the year before, uh, Benjamin Morrison, for example, last season held opponents to, um, I think it was 43% completion rate. Let me find it here real quick. Yeah, 43.1% completion rate. If you look at Cam Hart, he was right at 50, so, so 50% completion rate. And then you look at Notre Dame's outstanding cornerback duo in 2018, which I think we all believe was very, very good. And you'll see that they were not there. Troy uh, Julian Love allowed 53.2% completions. And Troy Pride allowed 57.9% completions uh, in, in those seasons. So I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited about what the Notre Dame Duke group can bring to the table. Now, are there areas that got to get better? Absolutely. And and But I think that that you're, you're going to see a tandem that is one of the best. You've got Jaden Mickey's now a year older. Chance Tucker's now a year older. You add Christian Gray, who those that read the Intel piece in the defense know is absolutely making his presence felt uh, this summer now that he's back to being healthy. 
And none of those guys are your fastest guy. That's Micah Bell, who also arrived this summer. So the cornerback room is as good as it's been in a long time because the difference in 2018 and 2023 is in 2018, because Dante Vaughn was just never healthy with the knee problems, the back problems, all the different issues, he was never the same guy that he was as a freshman when he was arguably their best cornerback. But after that, those two starters, there was a big drop off. You had you had Dante Vaughn and then true freshman Tariq Bracey, and then just you were tapped out. This team is in better position to where if there is an injury, God forbid, that you're in a position where you can put a Jaden Mickey in the game, a Chance Tucker in the game, maybe even a Christian Gray in the game, and say Clarence Lewis, who, a guy again, a guy who started in a playoff game for Notre Dame, and you say that they're going to be okay. They're going to be fine there if something happens like what happened in 2018 when Julian Love got knocked out for almost a full half. So I think that's something that you start to get fired up about, that Notre Dame has the perimeter talent and depth of talent, uh, something you're going to hear me talk about again, to be outstanding on the perimeter. And that is the next part of what I want to talk about. The depth of talent on the defense is a very underrated part of this football team and what I think this football team is going to be like and my and why my expectations are the way that they are. Depth and depth of talent are two different things. You can be a deep football team because you have a lot of a lot of quality veteran players, but that doesn't mean you have a lot of talent. You can have a a, a group of starters that are pretty good. And your backups are veterans, fifth-year guys, junior guys, you know, team guys, you know, rah-rah guys. Hey, I can get you out of the game. I can go in there and, and do enough to get you out of the game because I know what I'm doing. I know where to line up. I know what the offense is trying to do. I, I, I'm just that kind of guy. Then there's the teams, and this is true when you look at Clemson in 2018. You look at Georgia the last two years. You look at some of the teams that have had that have won because their defense was dominant. And it wasn't just a situation where you had good starters, but you could throw waves of players at people on all three levels. And Notre Dame has the talent to do that. Now, there's a lot of unprovenness to some of this depth, which is why it's not so – I mean, we talked about the experience earlier. There's a lot of guys that have played a lot of football. But there's also a lot of very talented younger players that haven't that that are going to get opportunities. You know, Junior Chalamaka, Josh Burnham, uh, Jason Onye, uh, Donovan Heinish. Uh, you look at uh, you look at linebacker Nolan Ziegler, Jalen Sneed. Those are guys that haven't played a ton of football. Jalen, you know, Christian Gray hasn't played a lot of football. Chance Tucker hasn't played a lot of football. So there are some guys that this year are going to be fighting for number two jobs in rotation roles that haven't played a lot of football, but they're talented. Jason Onye has not played, I mean, he's got like a couple career snaps. That's it. But he's very talented, and we saw that in the spring. Gabriel Rubio is now a junior. He's a guy that I I was talking with somebody the other day, and the comment to me was, if you took the backup defensive line for Notre Dame, so Junior Talamaka or Josh Burnham, whoever's not the starter at big end, whether it's Nana or or Javante Jean-Baptiste, and you took the number two tackles, Gabriel Rubio and Jason Onye, they're probably start. That's probably the starting D line for over half the teams that Notre Dame's going to play this year. It's not true for Clemson. It's not true for Ohio State. You know, it, it's not true for some of the better teams. But for most teams on your schedule, over half, I would argue, 
that this is a this is a defensive line that would start, or most of those guys would start on a Notre Dame opponents. It's been a long time. You think about how great that that 2012 Notre Dame defensive line was. Lewis Nix, Stephon Tuet, Capron Lewis Moore, Prince Shembo. But then there was a drop off in the number twos. It's Tony Springman. It was Kona Schwenke. You know, guys who are good, solid depth players, but they weren't impact guys. Sheldon Day was part of that rotation too, but he was a true freshman. Then you look at now, and it's it's some of these guys that are going to be number two roles, or guys that could start at other places, or that will at least push the veterans. And there's two reasons why I think this is important. Number one, to have a linebacking core, if the veterans still start, you now have a situation where you can throw Nolan Ziegler and Jalen Sneed and Drake Bowen and possibly Jaden Osbury at teams as part of rotation or nickel packages or whatever the case may be. Defensive line-wise, you can throw Rubio at people, Onye at people. Donovan Heinish has had a great offseason. Tyson Ford is a guy that's got a chance to be that kind of guy. Josh Burnham might be your pound-for-pound best athlete on the entire defense, if not the team. So you're starting to talk about – you're throwing some athletes at people. You're throwing some talented players at people. You know, Notre Dame's going to have four-star top 200 guys fighting to even get in the rotation this year on defense if you're someone who cares about, you know, recruiting rankings. I, I don't as much. I care about talent, and I see talent. And I think that's something that's different. I believe that's something that's different with this football team on defense is it's not, they're not a, if this guy goes down, you are screwed situation. I think it's safety. If one of the four goes down, you're, you're, you're in a little bit more trouble from a depth standpoint, because now you have to play freshman. Now you have to put Ben Minnick in the field uh, you, or, or Don Schuler on the field. But right now they're in a good place. And Ben Minnick is a guy that, from what I'm told, is going to have a chance to push the four veterans ahead of him just by his play. So there's a lot of excitement about the depth of the talent on the defense, and it's another reason why I'm excited about this football team heading into 2023. So that's reason number six. Reason number seven, and this is a similar similar type of topic on offense, and that's the diversity of the skill at Notre Dame on offense. I think when you look at some of the great Notre Dame teams in the past, you look at the thing of the 2018 team, the 2020 team that were really good teams. There was a lot of, you, this is the same guy. You know, you look at receiver, yeah, you had Chris Fink in the slot, but you had Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool outside. That You had two types of receivers, and that was really it. Your running backs were all kind of doing the same stuff. One of the things that excites me about this football team is you have such a unique skill group of skill sets. So you have Audric Estime and what he brings to the table in, in one breath. And I think you know, like Jabron Payne kind of falls into that, that mold to a degree, but he's got a little bit more looseness. Then you counter that with the explosiveness of guys like Jadarian Price and Jeremiah Love. And wait till you all hear the updates in my Intel piece on those two guys. Uh, I I'm, can't wait to finish writing it, and I'm going to get that out. It'll come out this evening after the show, and I get this edited and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of excitement about them. And then there's there's so there's that juice there. There's the hammers at other positions. Then there's Devin Ford, who's a slasher. Uh, you look at wide receiver. You've got Tobias Merriweather, tall, long, vertical guy, good route runner, great ball skills. And you got a big physical guy uh, like Jaden Thomas, who's 6'2", 220. Some people think he's a tight end. He's not, but it's just the unique skill set. Deion Colsey, big 6'5", fast, vertical. You think, okay, those are somewhat similar skill sets, but then you throw out a Chris Tyree at him. You, Rico Flores is a completely different player than those guys. Jaden Greathouse is a completely different player from those guys. Braylon James is a completely different player from those guys. Matt Salerno 
is a completely different player from those guys. There's a lot of different skills. And then Chris Tyree and Jaden Greathouse, who are different than the bigger guys, they're different from each other. And Chris Tyree being the fast, short, speedy guy that get the space guy, Jaden Greathouse more of a route runner, great contested catch guy. So there's a lot of different aspects to be to be to be excited about, but you don't you can't game plan for a type of guy. And, and here's why this is important. If you go play a team, like let's say Ohio, let's take Ohio State for example. Ohio State has long corners. Denzel Burke's a really long kid. Uh, the, the 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 transfer they got from Ole Miss is a very long kid. They have long corners. Let's say that Ohio State's corners can come out and say, hey, we, we're long enough to match up with your big receivers. Well, Notre Dame doesn't just have to keep going with that. They can do things in 12 personnel to get Ohio State into different matchups. They can they can throw a, a Chris Tyree in a situation. They can use the size to, you know, their size to, okay, well, we can't necessarily get a bunch of separation in the pass game, but we can do some things in the run game to 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 where, yeah, they may be as long to compete with us, but we still got 20, 30 pounds on them at least in, from a weight standpoint, where we can now do some things in the run game, you know, get Chris Tyree out there, all that, all that different stuff. And so I think those are aspects that you say, the fact that you can, you can match up based on what other teams are good at or not good at. If you have a team that has a, a smaller nickel, you can go with Jaden Thomas in the slot. You can go with Jaden Greathouse in the slot. If you have a a team that's got a, a longer corner, you can say, hey, look, there's some things we can do as an offense to get Chris Tyree moving around to where he can get in space and he's not going to be getting rerouted by this longer nickel. Now that guy's got to chase Chris Tyree and he just can't do it because he doesn't run well enough. That unique skill set, same with the backfield. You can go 21 and 20 personnel and whether it's Jadarian Price or Jeremiah Love or Jabron Payne, those guys can move around and do different things to where you're not just going 21 personnel with Logan Diggs and Audric Estime, who are kind of the same guy, right? You're putting different skill sets on the field, even a tight end this year. You know, when you had Mitchell Evans and, and Michael Mayer on the field, you had two guys that were very similar in, in how you used them. They're not the same player, but the concepts that you use them for, they're taller, you know, possession guys, you know, good route runners, good blockers. There's not a lot of variety there. Now you have Mitchell Evans and Holden Stace, and they're two completely different players. And if Eli Raritan is able to come back at some point in time healthy, and, and we'll see if that's the case, and I'll have some stuff on him too, that's a six seven kid that's fast. And so he's a different – You can he can do some of the things that Mitchell Evans can do, but then he also can do some things that Mitchell Evans can't do just from a pure speed standpoint. So you have three tight ends there that, to me, bring very different skill sets. Then you have a freshman like Cooper Flanagan who may not do a whole lot in the pass game early, but is a kid that can kind of come in and right now compete in the run game, be ready to compete in the run game. So there's just a, a uniqueness to your skill set that is reminds me a lot of the, the 2020 tight end room. But now I think you're in a situation where you have a, a, a coordinator that will a little bit better use those different weapons, I believe, uh, in the pass game is, is not just only relying on the number one. So I, I think the diversity of skill on offense is something that has me very excited because, again, it's hard to slump when you have the depth that Notre Dame has on offense and the depth of the from a diversity standpoint, right? The the, the I should say depth of the, but the diversity that you have. So teams that can stop this may not be able to stop that. There aren't many teams that can stop all of it, right? And I think that's something you get excited about because if if a certain thing isn't working, you have something to go to. 
if the run game wasn't working for him in the past, you're in trouble. If the big receivers couldn't get open in the past, you're in trouble. This team has buttons they can push uh, to, to be in those situations and be effective. And I think that's something also that has me excited about this Notre Dame football team in 2023. Let's dive into my eighth reason I'm excited about the Notre Dame football team heading into 2023, and that's the potential of the front seven, especially the front four. I think this is one of the most – we had a question yesterday at the end of the, ch- of the, end of the chat that we didn't get a, a chance to go to. And I believe the question had something to do with what's the position group with the most boomer bust potential on the team. And my, my inkling at the time was I probably, if I would have answered it yesterday, I might've said receiver, but as you really think about it, I really believe it's, it's, it could be the defensive line. Not because I, I, the reason I would say, I don't love the the phrasing of boomer bust because I don't think there's any scenario in which these guys bust because we've all seen them. But when you look at it and say the floor is not super high, but it's high enough to where you're a nine-win team, but the ceiling for this defensive line is incredibly high. That's also part of the reason why this is a little bit further down on my list is because it's one of the more unknowns. I'm confident in the first seven things, like real confident. This is one of those ones that I'm I'm a little – uncertain of as far as will it happen but there's no disputing the talent you know will riley mills break out this year i don't know do i have any doubt that riley mills is talented none he's a kid that's six five he's 300 plus he's about 300 pounds now i hear from multiple sources that that's the guy that nfl teams ask notre dame about the most when they call and reach out ryan has confirmed this too on his end that he's a guy that a lot of NFL people have reached out to him in the past. He's long, he's athletic. His production on a per-snap basis as an interior player is significantly greater than what you saw from Jerry Tillery and Sheldon Day going into their senior seasons. And I did this kind of thought experiment the other day. The year that Jerry Tillery was an an All-American, first-team All-American, he had 10.5 tackles for loss and eight sacks. If you took Riley Mills' production from last season as an interior player, and project that to the same number of snaps that Jerry Tillery had, he'd have 16 tackles for loss and nine sacks. That's a heck of a season. If you project it to the number of productions Sheldon Day had in his final season when he had 15 tackles for loss and four and a half sacks, Riley would have been a nine and five guy. Not quite the same level, but still a pretty good season for a three technique. I think Riley has a chance to be kind of in between those two. I don't. He's not going to get to 16. I mean, I'd be shocked by that. I think he he could have a chance to have more than nine. I think he's a guy that has a chance to be a double-digit tackle for lost guy and a six-plus sack guy. But will he do it? We don't know. We need to see it, but the talent's there. Howard Cross was a very disruptive player from Notre Dame last year. There's no doubt. Uh, Jordan Patelho, we saw what he did in the second half of the year when he got opportunities to play. Incredibly twitchy, incredibly disruptive, had two sacks and ten total pressures in the bowl game. So you say, well, how are you going to replace Isaiah Foskey? Here's why Notre Dame beat South Carolina. When South Carolina didn't have guys play that were starters, they complained about it. Well, we didn't have our starter, and so we weren't as good. Notre Dame was able to look at the guys that departed and say, our guy stepped in, and we still made plays. We didn't have Michael Mayer. Mitchell Evans still stepped in and balled out. We don't have Isaiah Foskey. All right. Jordan Patel steps in and balls out. That's the difference. Jason Adamiola can't play. Riley Mel stepped in, balled out, had one and a half sacks. 
right? And so those are the things you look at and say, you know, hey, you don't have Cam Hart. Jaden Mickey stepped in, played good football in that game. And and that's the difference. And that's cuts back to that depth of talent thing that we talked about. But up front, you saw Jordan Patello show like this is who he can be. He did it against Syracuse as well. It wasn't the only game that he stepped up and balled out. Josh Burnham finished the spring off on a really high note. Uh, the folks that read the Intel piece, this is one of the nuggets that was in there. There was one of the scrimmages. I don't think it was the Jersey. It might have been the Jersey scrimmage. I'm not sure if it was that one, but I was told by three different sources that in one of the team scrimmages late in the spring, that Josh Burnham had like three sacks, two more tackles for loss, and just dominated the Notre Dame offensive line. Now, I don't think he was going against the starters, but he dominated. And so he, the player he was at the end of spring was so much better than he was at the beginning of spring. We've talked about his athleticism. Uh, you talk about Jason Onye having a great spring. You talk about Gabriel Rubio's now over 300 pounds. That's a former top 100 recruit that that grew and grew and grew last season. He was a steady player down the stretch. Now he's in a position to give you some beef, some really big play. Uh, Donovan Heinish had a great spring, from according to very multiple sources. Uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste had a very good spring. We know what Nana can do. So when I look at this football team, and then you add Armel Mukum, who's already at the 270, Bubakar looks like a million bucks. He's impressed people so far. He starts to say, good Lord, if if Al Washington can coach, and, and I liked what he did this spring, if this guy can coach, Notre Dame is going to be going 10 deep of just waves of defensive players that, at, at, that you can throw. And that's partly what made that 2018 edge rotation so good. You had Khalid Kareem and Julian Aguar as your starters. And the guys that you were bringing off the bench were NFL players. So if you brought out Kareem and, o- and, o- and Aguara, you put in Dalen Hayes and Adi Takuba Ogandiji. And another guy that played was Jameer Jones, who also has started games in the NFL. So Notre Dame had five defensive ends in the, on that 2018 defensive end rotation that were NFL players. Four of them were drafted. When you can just throw waves of people, remember the bolt, the bolt, the cotton bowl against against Clemson. You know, early in the game, Clemson's driving there in field goal range, is third down. Julian Aguar gets hurt. He limps off the field. Uh, in comes Adi Tagumba Ogandiji, and he proceeds to sack Trevor Lawrence and knock Clemson out of field goal range. When you have the ability to just say, hey, Patelho needs a breather right now, that's all good. Tuila Maka can get after it. Josh Burnham can get after it. Hey, Riley, he's he, he needs a series off. Howard needs a series off. Cool. Throw in Onye. Throw in Rubio. Throw in Donovan Heiners. Throw in Tyson Ford. Throw in whoever. When you've got that kind of talent, it, it, it starts to get excited. Now that talent needs to equal production. And that's the big question, right? This is why this group is so low because the potential's there. I even have on my notes front potential. That's how I'm, 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 I'm tagging this segment. It's about potential. And you all know what I say. Potential doesn't win you games. Production does. If the potential becomes production, this defensive line is going to be outstanding. And it's important because I don't believe that you can be a championship-caliber team, barring having some sort of Joe Burrow, LSU, 19, 50-point-per-game offense, that you can win a championship without having a really disruptive and and impact and or impactful front seven. Notre Dame has the potential to be that. They just got to go prove it. But I am very excited about the potential, and it's a reason why I'm excited about this football team. Number nine reason wise we wrap this up it's just overall talent and i've talked a lot about this 
where is there a position on the defense that you are on this football team where you don't think to yourself, there's at least one guy that's an NFL football player, offensive line, clearly running back, clearly receiver, multiple quarterback. Absolutely. Tight end, several defensive line, lots linebacker. Yes. There's NFL guys there, especially the younger classes. Maybe the older guys will see there's potential there. Corner, certainly. And even safety. Xavier Watts is a guy that has NFL talent and athleticism. He's got to turn it into production, but the talent is there. And we haven't seen this at years in Notre Dame. Again, we're talking about a team that in 2020 had to go to the college football playoff and compete against Alabama in 2020 with Nick McLeod, who was an undrafted free agent and a guy that transferred in as your outside cornerback, and then Clarence Lewis, who was a true freshman, who right now, think about that. Last time Notre Dame made the college football playoff, they had a a, a starting cornerback in that game who right now is battling just to be the number three and, mo- and most likely is going to end up being the number four. He was a starter. He was the number five tackler on that football team that year in Clarence Lewis, and now he's struggling even to get on the field. I think that says a lot about where they are there. And that was, again, folks, that was a playoff team that did that. You look at this football team and the overall town is just outstanding. It's it, it's not proven everywhere. It's not proven at wide receiver. It's not proven at running back after Audric estimates. It's not proven at the defensive line to the degree it needs to be. It's not proven at safety, but the town is there. And that's something as a coach you work with. Because if you're a coach that's worth his, grain, worth, worth his contract, you're going to look at your talent and say, I can work with this, right? I can absolutely work with this. I, I can promise you all. And my first year as a full-time coach, I coached an All-American running back. We had tons of production. The next year at receiver, I had two guys that made it to the NFL. Uh, we had tons of production, set team records. My next two years at Christopher Newport, we set scoring records. We won more games in my first year at CNU than they've ever won still to this day. We set a bunch of, at the time, scoring records, pass game records, all that other kind of stuff. And every single time, I never walked in and said, man, y'all give me some scraps, but don't worry. I got this. I'm going to turn these nothings into something. No, you walk in and you're like, oh my gosh, this is Christmas. God is good to me because he has gifted me with this. And it's my job to get it ready to go because I have the weapons. And I, if, if there's a Notre Dame coach on this team that doesn't look at his room and say that, then he needs to go somewhere else and and find another job or find another team because the talent is there. It's just can you do your job to create the leadership, to create the accountability, to create the work ethic, to create the mental toughness, to create the technical proficiency, the schematic proficiency to go out and be effective. That's what we're going to find out. And we've seen this before with Notre Dame. They didn't go from 4-8 and eight to 10-3 and three and from 16 to 17, because they brought in a bunch of new transfers. Matter of fact, the only guy that I remember being new on the 2017 team was a guy that was from or on the 16 team. Actually, he was even gone. I can't even think of any new guys on that 2017 defense that weren't around the year before. Now that I think about it, that were on that that were on that team. I, I quarterback was gone you had a brand new quarterback you had the same running backs you, you the new guys that you had were like cam smith and freddie canteen hardly the reasons for notre dame turning things around if you have the right coaching 
the, and the, the town is there, you can be effective. Well, we're going to find out about this football team is, is the coaching good enough to get the most out of the talent? I'm confident that, that it is. I'm confident that in year two, the players are going to know the scheme better. The coaches are going to know the players better. There's more experience at that top spot that you're going to now get more out of the talent. And that's something that I'm excited about. Last reason, reason number 10, and we're going to wrap this up. Sometimes to, to, to kick the door down and win a championship, you need some breaks to go your way. Just the reality of it. You need it to be a year where your football team maybe doesn't have to beat a 2018 Clemson, doesn't have to beat a 2020 Alabama or a 2019 LSU. You say, well, you know, 2013 Florida State. And I think that's one of the unique things about this season. There's a lot of really good football teams around college football this year. But at the same time, I don't know that there's any elite teams like we saw in the past. There's no 21 Georgia. There's no 20 Bama, at least that we know of, right? Like we said yesterday, some team could emerge and be that because we didn't know that 19 LSU was going to be that good. I had LSU as a playoff team that year, but I didn't have them in the like winning at all. I didn't think they were going to be a team that scored like 49 points a game. I just thought they were going to be better to where the, the talent was going to finally start producing because you had a better coaching situation. And I was right to a degree, not right enough, because I didn't think they were going to be as good as they were. It's not abnormal to see teams make that kind of jump. I think Notre Dame has a chance to be one of those teams. So somebody could emerge like that, but I just don't see it. I don't see that kind of experience. I mean, LSU even going to 19, they they had a quarterback coming back. They had an experienced quarterback coming back. Joe Burrow was coming into his senior season. So it's not like they had a new guy that they had to break in like, like Georgia does. Georgia's breaking a new quarterback. Ohio State's breaking in a new quarterback. Alabama's breaking in a new quarterback. Clemson's breaking in a new quarterback. There, a lot of the top teams that are the, the the teams that you consider usually the perennial contenders are breaking in new quarterbacks. The exceptions are USC, who I don't consider a perennial contender. You, you look at Notre Dame's obviously breaking in a new starter, but he's an experienced guy. Michigan's got a new a returning starter coming back. Penn State's breaking in a new starter. Tennessee's breaking in a new starter. A lot of the teams that people consider contenders outside of LSU, Notre Dame, Texas, USC, and Washington are breaking in new, new starters. And, and so I, I think that factors into it. When you look at Notre Dame's schedule, that's a part of it, right? Notre Dame's schedule is, is a big part of what I'm referring to in this conversation of looking around college football. The schedule is something for Notre Dame fans to get excited about. You you get your first four games, you get one good test, you go on the road against NC State. That's a good football team. If you're not a good football team, they can beat you, no doubt about it. But also you've got Navy, you've got Tennessee State, and Central Michigan. So you have a chance to kind of get right before that big week five matchup against Ohio State. Ohio State won't have a similar test to what Notre Dame has coming into the season. They, they play Western Kentucky, Youngstown State, and Indiana coming into that game. So they won't have an NC State type of – you know, road environment, talent on the team to kind of get them prepped for that game. But Notre Dame also gets it at home. So no excuses. No excuses if you lose to Ohio State this year. That means they just whooped you. They're better than you. There's no excuses. You get them at home. You get them before, you know, you're going to get too deep in the season where you're worn down. It's also not too early, too deep in the season where their quarterback has a lot more experience than you would otherwise have. Their quarterback's not going to have seen anything like what Notre Dame is going to throw at him. Now, he may still thrive. Jake Fromm hadn't seen anything like what Notre Dame was going to throw at him in 2017, and he did just fine in that game. 
So we'll, we'll find out if Notre Dame can be can be that disruptive. You look at, at USC. Again, Notre Dame gets USC at home. USC is a heck of a football team. That's n- by no means an easy out. Uh, but it's, again, you're at home and a team that you were competitive against last year, and you get them at home. Clemson is a team that you got to play on the road. It's going to be tough. It's a tough and that's a tough, that's a tough out, right? Notre Dame has beat Clemson a couple times recently, both times at home. They didn't. They they battled Clemson last time they played down there with Deshaun Watson, a quarterback, but they still lost. So you know that's going to be a tough one. But two of those three big games are at home, whereas last year they were on the road. Combined with you finish relatively, I don't say well easy. It's not going to be easy. But if you're uh, who you who you expect to be, your last two games are very winnable games where maybe you don't have to play your starters ninety five percent of the snaps. You should be able to go put a good whooping on Wake Forest and go to put put a good whooping on Stanford, so you can c- recover late in the year, and then then you get a month off before the playoff if you're able to get there, and you can be a much fresher team, uh, and you have chances to get healthy. So there's just a lot of different reasons where when you look at Notre Dame's schedule, when you look at the teams around college football, that just the 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 right there's the right ingredients in this pie, right? To make it really good. And it includes your talent. It includes your coaching. It includes your schedule has to be right. It, it, it also means that it, there are years where you have to be in a situation where you're in a, this is a year that we can get it done. You know, like I said, what, what's prompted Alabama's run of what six titles and in, in, in however many years Maybe they beat Texas in 20, 2009. Maybe. I'm someone who believes that a big reason they were able to win that football game is because Col- Colt McCoy got hurt. They they were on their second scoring drive against against uh, Alabama and, and were going up six to nothing when Cole got hurt. I still believe that, that Texas wins that game if Colt McCoy doesn't get hurt. Bama needed a break. But then after that, they earned the win after Colt went down. And then they built on that and they became the powerhouse that they were. You know, I thought I thought Clemson caught some breaks in, in 2016 to win that game. I, you know, they were falling behind 14 to nothing. You know, Ohio State caught some breaks in 2014 that some teams that had a chance to 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 be to maybe get in over them in 2014 got beat that allowed Ohio State to, to continue to climb up the rankings. I think Ohio State started like in the first uh rankings of the college football playoff rankings before they're like 16th. I don't care who they beat the rest of the way, they don't get up to number four if other people don't lose. And so sometimes you got to catch your breaks, but when that when those teams that when the breaks gave those teams opportunities, they seized it. Right? Ohio State caught some breaks to get into the playoff in 2014, but when they got there, they whooped Bam in the second half. They they, they handled their business. They beat the big dog to win a title. They beat the Heisman Trophy not that beat. They destroyed the team that had the Heisman Trophy winner on in the championship game. They earned the championship, but they caught some breaks to get there. And and that's needed. That's okay. But you got to go handle your business once you get there. And that's another reason why I believe that this is a, a team, a Notre Dame team, and the environment is right for them to go out there and compete for a championship. So those are my 10 reasons why I'm excited about this Notre Dame football team heading into, 2020, into the 2023 season. And also why, as I hinted yesterday, that when I release my – playoff team for 2023 which we'll have before the season starts Notre Dame will be one of my four playoff teams so I hope you all enjoyed that I'm going to dive in here next I'm going to take a little bit of an intermission about about a minute so don't go anywhere I'm going to play the music so don't please don't go anywhere and take a brief intermission I need to uh get a couple things and and uh 
recover this action here real quick, but I'm going to come back. We're going to dive into ACC and Big Ten. This is part one. I'm going to do part two uh, in a future midweek rundown where I'm going to dive into the Pac-12, Big 12, and SEC. But today I'm going to talk about the title contenders, or excuse me, the playoff contenders, which is also the conference champion contenders in the ACC and the Big Ten. It's going to be a fun discussion, so you definitely want to join me on that. If you have some questions that you want me to answer, throw them in a super chat. We do have five uh, We do have five super chats. I'll, I'll ask four of them. Uh, I'll answer four of them because one of them came from someone who um, is, uh, is, is now blocked from the chat. So anyway, get those uh, super chats in if you want me to address them because there will not be a mailbag today. So I'll be right back to talk about uh, our next topic on the Irish Breakdown podcast. Thank mm-hmm. you. 